Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Bill Otman as a guest. Bill is an American on internet entrepreneur and freedom of information activist like me. Based in New York City, best known as a CEO and co-founder of Minds. Welcome on the podcast. Let me may- first maybe talk a bit about you know the origin of social media in the beginning. I-, I still remember in the beginning, you had like MSN and like MySpace. Could you maybe guide a bit to maybe the young viewers, like what life was in the beginning of social media or the excitement that was there about this, these new platforms? I don't know how old you are. I'm 35. So, you know, my first intro to all of this was probably AOL and like AOL Instant Messenger, AIM, which actually still does exist. Like I've, one time I logged onto an old computer and like somehow it logged me into AIM. And I saw that there were like, you know, there's like those 20 people that are just always online. I had like something called MESC or Merck or whatever. I had like uh-huh. a computer plan then. And indeed, you just had these tags and these rooms and then you join. And some people indeed were always there and being the admin. Yeah, yeah. Some people that just leave their computer on all day and they were just always logged in. And I just remember coming home from school, like dial up internet. You hear that. And it's it's logging you in and you're so excited to talk to people and you know talk to girls that you have a crush on and stuff. And it was crazy. And yeah, you could go into these wild chat rooms. I mean, I remember in in AOL, like, yeah, all these like public dating chat rooms, everyone like pretending to be people that they're not, totally like wild west insanity. But the crazy thing is that from that very beginning phase to now. It's totally different, but it's also Mm. not that different. Mm. I mean, what are people really doing? They're just having conversations. The most basic thing about the internet and communication is really just chat. I mean, chat now, you know, with social media, we're starting to like, you know, we all have these pages and we share all these posts, like a public sort of journal of our lives. That's the main different thing. But like the the live chat has, has pretty much stayed the same, to be honest. Yeah. And even before I had a conversation this week with a friend, like, why did you have a phone? You just had a phone to meet people. <laughs> that was basically it. Or to reach people. It was like, hey, phone, send a couple of messages and then meet. It was not like and spending like endless time on social media or all these apps. It was basically just an extra tool to, to figure out and meet people. Or when they really lived in a different country, then you could stay in touch, you know, and not only do it to email. I know. And now calling someone on the phone is like frowned upon. <laughs> Even though everyone everyone yeah. secretly loves it when when they get a call and have a conversation, but you know the default is to just text, and that that's sort of too bad. I remember in the beginning with the rise of like Facebook, I was like I had a MySpace and you had an MSN back then, and then say like yeah, but Facebook is a little bit better. You can even share pictures, and I held it off like two years, like I don't know. But then you had like this bandwagon effect. And then suddenly, like a lot of people started being like on Facebook, you know, can't believe it's almost like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah, it's it's wild. I think that what I notice now is that every app is sort of becoming the same thing. 
it sort of has a couple of unique characteristics, but ultimately all the apps are generally not that much different. I mean, now they all have stories, they all have mm-hmm. video, they have DMs, they have a feed, literally basically the same thing. And, you know, they're all copying each other's functionality. They're all spying on you. <laughs> yeah, so, we're, gonna, we're definitely going to delve into that because I've always been fascinated by the impact of uh, technology on our lives. And, and, and especially now, like, in the beginning, there was some kind of excitement about Facebook and these new features were like rolled out and they were constantly innovating and you had more freedom to build your business online, connect with mm-hmm. people, a lot of possibilities. If you're like, yeah, this is adding to my life. But fast forward now, I feel that freedom, we've been promised freedom. You had this web and then people are being catched in the web. And now I feel like increasingly freedoms or like taking away and you're so dependent on the social media that, yeah, you can't get off of it anymore. So I feel a bit betrayed or, you know, like I was so enthusiastic about it. Now I'm hooked to it. I'm dependent on it. And now I feel like my relationship with social media is totally different than like five, let's say 10 years ago. Oh yeah. It was very exciting in the beginning and, you know, it was starting revolutions. People were you know, communicating for very important reasons. It was helping businesses. You could actually get the word out about stuff you were doing. I think betrayal is the exact right word because we spent a decade building up audiences on like Facebook. And, you know, so if you have 100,000 followers on Facebook or 10,000 or whatever, you're now you're only reaching a few percent of them when you post. So the whole thing is a joke. It's like, it's, it's fake. It's not real communication. You're, you, you sort of post something and you hope that everybody who follows you sees it, but the newsfeed will never let that happen. You used to actually be able to have people see your stuff. So you know that was valuable. I mean, that's the whole point of it. And now you know, it's happening on Instagram. It's happening on Twitter. The, the algorithms are, are limiting everybody's reach and they're showing you what they think you want you to see or what, you, what they think you should see. And it's causing depression and people like their likes go down and they're like, oh my God, like I hate myself. So it's crazy. We're in la la land now. Yeah. It's more and more pay to play. And you have this saying, like, if you don't have to pay for something, then you're the product. And that is, we live in the attention economy where attention is the most scarcest resource and attention is being sold to marketeers, to politicians, to agendas, because Mm -hmm. when you can manipulate perception, then perception becomes reality and that way you can steer events. So that is what I learned a lot about the age of surveillance capitalism, the social dilemma, the great hack. You see all of this data that is being used to be sold and then steer the perception of people in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very polarizing. The interesting thing is that people on the left and the right sort of both hate big tech for slightly different reasons. One thing that I think most people agree on is that the surveillance the surveillance is out of control and that like you are the product. But the this rift that is happening now with the left and the right is like you know a lot of people on the left seemingly, you know, there's this isn't a totally true statement, but you know they they think that there's more content should be taken down. Yeah. And then, you know, more of the center and, you know, more traditional liberals and conservatives think that there should be more free speech, like common carrier type approach, more more like a phone company, like a utility. And I, I do personally think that that makes more sense. And 
going down the rabbit hole of trying to determine what is true, what is not true, what is misinformation, what's valid information, you know, beyond what is illegal and legal, like that's that's what we do at minds.com. It's first amendment based. So as long as it's legal in the US, it can be on the platform and we have like good filters so you don't have to see, you know, stuff that you don't want to see, but it doesn't really need to get more complicated than that. I absolutely agree with you that when I see the people who are being censored, whether uh, it be like Milo, whether it be Alex Jones, whether it be, you know, people, and you can't disagree with them. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing for the principle of freedom of expression and speech. I don't have to like someone. But you see that people on the right side of the spectrum, conservative side of the spectrum, or the left becoming more extreme, a kind of percentage of the left. So a lot of things, they moved more left. So anything seems more radical and extreme and more conservative. You do got to see that there's a, there's a certain kind of left-wing people, mostly like radical, that they want to remove silence, cancel culture, people on the right and conservatives. But I don't know so many conservatives, even like people that they'd call like crazy or radical, they don't want to remove any, anyone on the left. They think there should be freedom of speech and expression. As Which long- is weird yeah. because yeah. traditionally the conservatives have been the one mm-hmm. who want censorship. You know, they don't want explicit content. You know, they're more religious typically. And yeah, that has really shifted. And now there's sort of more of a, a narrow spectrum of like progressives who do still care. Well, I don't even know if you would call them progressives, but people like, you know, Glenn Greenwald, you know, Snowden, these types of, you know, Matt Taibbi, like there's sort of rational people on the left who know that free speech is foundational and that if you give that up, you, you could lose everything. So even if there's stuff you don't like, you have to deal with it because the, the consequences of, of removing free speech entirely could, could be very dangerous. Yeah, I see this. And maybe you can elaborate what is dangerous because a lot of people think like, it's good that you police this and that you take away inciting kind of speech or hate speech or whatever. But what I notice is the increased infantilization of treating people that they can't think for themselves. They can't mm-hmm. be triggered. They can't see anything, you know, that could be triggering. So they just remove it and say like, oh my God, I'm so happy that daddy, Facebook, daddy, whatever YouTube is removing it. Right. What do you think are the reasons? And you got to say it as it is. There is a liberal bias on the social media platforms that they remove mostly people on the conservative side or the, or the uh, right wing side. Why are these social media platforms steering more towards the progressive or liberal size and are removing mostly conservative right-wing voices? Well, just to go back to one thing you said a little bit before, you know, in terms of inciting violence, like that actually is illegal. So Mm -hmm. that should be removed. But, you know, the definition of hate speech, like no one knows what the definition of hate speech is. Is it hate speech if I say, I hate you? I don't know. Sounds like it is. Sounds pretty hateful to me, but Mm -hmm. I guess that's okay. It's okay to say, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) but it's not okay to say certain other words, but we don't know what that list of words is. And that list of words is constantly changing. So it's totally unenforceable. And it's really just missing the point entirely because the research actually shows that censorship causes more violence and hate and polarization Mm -hmm. because people freak out when they get censored. That's a, that's a reality. Like, when you ban all of these hardcore groups from Facebook, what do, you, what do you think they do? Where do they go? They just uh, get pissed and they, and they think that they're victims and they get more angry. If you look at it on a psychological level, where does a lot of hurt and psychopathy or acting out or even school shootings come from? People who feel not listened to. Exactly. 
that's like one of the essential things that people feel like I matter, my opinion matters, you know, what I say matters, my expression, expression matters. And when you say like, no, what you say, like it can be said and you're like to an intellectual or ideological ghetto, what happens? It festers on the ground or it, it comes back in a much more extreme form. This is getting to be a consensus, even in like the scientific community. There have been a, a number of studies done on this exact topic. And so that's why I'm starting to feel like it's an intentional act of global polarization mm -hmm. on the behalf of the big companies, because, you know, they're smart. I mean, they have data scientists, they work with, you know, psychologists, they, they, they know what's happening. So they know that censorship can have serious consequences. Now to play devil's advocate with myself, radicalization can happen on social networks. So you kind of have to be a little bit careful to not say like that nothing can go wrong on these social networks when, you know, everybody's just gathering people together under all different ideologies and whatnot. However, if you ban them, there's no, it's only going to get worse. So you, you sort of have to deal with the problem that has been created. And the only way to deal with that problem is to just through more communication. Cause if you shut down communication, then, you know, realistically it's going to get physical. But for me, truth is always negotiated and you need to get feedback and it has to be bounced back. So what are you going to do? You're going to beforehand pre-decide what is okay morally and what can be said. You're going to play like God when it comes to like determining ethics and morals. And when you're going to develop algorithms and transhumanist technologies, you're going to program God in them that they can decide what's right <laughs> or wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, within that matrix, then you're like a good little agent Smith. But if you think for yourself and make up your own mind, no, 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 no. We're going to take that thinking and speaking over from you. Like, how dangerous is this? That's the key point. I'm, I'm, I made a post the other day saying when mind reading technology goes mainstream, mm -hmm. everybody is going to demand free speech. That is going to happen. This headset that I have on my head in, I wouldn't even be surprised in 10 years. This headset, I'll probably just be able to sit here thinking and it'll just be dictating my thoughts to you. But what is thinking? Thinking is talking to yourself. So it's also a matter of speech, but you talk to yourself. What if that also could be measured? It's like you're thinking wrong. It goes from speech and then to how you feel, how you react with biometric data, or they could even see what you're thinking. And like in Minority Report, oh, you're committing a crime. We see it. You know, you haven't expressed it, but it's there. The seed is there. We have to send the thought police. Yes, exactly. Thoughts, it's a layered it's it's a layered system. So you have your thoughts and then your thoughts manifest into speech and then speech can manifest into physical action more so. But you know, speech is can cause violence, but it is not violence. And you know, letting people say that it is 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 super dangerous. And Again, I think that ultimately the science and the data is going to prove all of this sort of easily. But unfortunately, the big tech companies have agendas and they don't really want to prove this. They don't really have an incentive to. Though I, it is curious I have, because, yeah. because you would think they would want more users. But mm. I'm not so sure anymore. They have all the users. So now they just want to control. My thesis is this, and I want to check it uh, with you, is... What do you need for mind control? You need two things, control of behavior and control of perception. 
So when you control the behavior by tracking it, sweeping people like a human cookie, you have a lot of behavior. You have a lot of predictive power. And when you have the media, social media, having predictive programming, like an increasingly narrow bandwidth of acceptable opinion, that that's the only thing that they see, that perception influences behavior. That behavior influences perception. And that way, that becomes like reality. And when they're going to replace human needs with digital needs or in technology, it again gives data like a human cookie. And you can again steer it. You can track it. You can measure it. You can predict it. So that way, it makes like people, you know, just as programming software, you can program people, predict it, know them better than they do, like what the social dilemma is about. And then you have unique predictive control because if you leave it to speech, social organic contact, human needs, that is not something you can track and measure, and that's more difficult to control. Absolutely. It's really scary. You know, people think they're living their own lives by waking up, having their coffee, getting on their computer. But, you know, Google is and Facebook are following you every step of that, that process. I mean, your phone in your pocket, like they know like physically where you are, they know what coffee shop you've gone to. So they can predict your purchasing habits. They can feed you the posts in the feed that they want you to click on. And it's, it's, but again, I, to play devil's advocate again, I don't want, there's still value there. I mean, you know, like YouTube has insane, insane amount of information on it. That is, that can be great, but you, you have to take control over what you're seeing. Don't just scroll through the main homepage that the algorithm is feeding you, at least go into your subscriptions feed, but people won't even do that. You know, you find yourself just going through the motions that they feed you. Well, I have a quote that says the danger is not for robots to become like humans. The danger is for humans to become like robots. So we can use technology or be used by technology. And since the enlightenment, we never asked the question about, you know, should we worship that golden calf of technology, put that at the spearhead of civilization, and we just have to keep on running to catch up. But when you're going to take a look at the level of burnout, anxiety, depression, loneliness, never more than, than now. So it's in general, often not making us happier, exhausted, tired, you know, like the speed of life is super fast. So I see a lot of opportunities in these technologies but there are other aspects in life that it takes away from. And I think we should have like a discussion, like how can we have a meaningful life and balance humanity with technology and put fulfillment, satisfaction, and all these mental issues also in the center. But these companies have so much power, influence, money, control, that they are deciding 80% where society is heading. And technology mm-hmm. should not only, according to me, decide where society is heading, to have a livable, meaningful life. Technology is one part of it. And I feel we haven't had that discussion. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about what's happening with crypto, because crypto is really self-sovereign technology. In its core, what it is, is this you know, key pair where you have your private key. That's your That's your ownership of your assets and your identity. And then you have your public key, which is where people send you messages or send you money and whatnot. And, you know, on big social networks, like there's no crypto, you know, they control your entire identity. You're logging into their system. It's not your owned assets logging in and then leaving when you want. And so with Bitcoin, with Ethereum, 
with everything that's happening with encrypted messaging, you know, that's the exciting thing about what's happening. Like those tools are really starting to mature. And like on mines, we've completely integrated encryption and, and cryptocurrency and, you know, people earn crypto for, for their engagement. And we want to give people more reach and more views, not restrict their reach and restrict their voice. So have you gotten into much of the crypto stuff recently? I have crypto myself, you know, not super deep in it, but you know, like, I don't know. I read that this year, 20% of the money has been printed in America that has been printed to the entire history of America. So it's like putting more air into a balloon balloon that's about to explode. So this just can't keep on continuing like this. Like, you know, think of your individual level. You're going to... I'm going to lend you money, going to get you money, going to lend you money. At some point, you have to pay it back. And the financial system was also like hurting with Deutsche Bank just before COVID, et cetera. So the traditional financial market, et cetera, it can't continue like this. Like you can't just keep on blowing it up without one day exploding it. So I think people should diversify in crypto, gold, silver, maybe some stocks to make sure that they don't depend on just the financial banking system because the the debt that has been created the last year is just, mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Yeah. And to me, the powerful thing about investing in general is just that you're, you're voting with your energy and your resources. And that's how I feel about you know, new tech that actually cares about freedom. Like, okay, it's not as advanced as Google and Facebook yet, but it is so important for everyone out there who cares about this stuff to just log in once in a while play around with it, experiment, give it a little bit of your energy because the world will never change if people just stay stuck in their, in their little happy place on, on Instagram. This just, but, it's, but you it's know what I noticed with, with this generation that there's kind of like a fatalism, like, hey, we can't do something about right. it. And, and when I warn people for this uh, increasing like data harvesting, you know what they say? Oh, but they're already doing it which isn't an argument to even increase it and have it go even further. But it's like, oh, they already do it on the phone. So there's kind of complacency and fatalism about it. I don't know if you noticed it, but this oh, is- Oh, of course. Mo- mo- most people you talk to about it just don't want to deal with the question. And say, they'll, they'll say something like, oh, well, I don't have anything to hide anyway. I don't really care. But that's not a principled response i mean everybody has something to hide everybody has something to yeah oh oh you don't have something to hide then why aren't you live streaming your bathroom in your house maybe you should just start live streaming your bathroom mhm mhm so you know it's just a it's just an excuse because it's an, it's it's an uncomfortable conversation and people just and, don't want to deal with it and it's also an inversion of thinking i see a lot of inversions that's a whole other topic about it you know like now you have to prove in that you're healthy not to prove that you're sick now you have to, you know, like prove that you're not guilty, you know, instead of, you know, like, oh, if you have something to hide, you know, like, you know, you're, you're, you're being seen as guilty and proven innocent. So it's like an inversion of normally how it should be. Yeah. Why don't have a discussion about we have human rights? Shouldn't we be able to have digital rights? I want to know what kind of data you have about me, what you're doing with it. And I want to give my permission about it. I think that's also basic human right, especially become, since it becomes increasingly more a part of our life. We should also see what our digital identity and our digital trail looks like. Yeah. And, and you would really think that the big companies would understand that things are shifting and people want this now. And you know, that you should start giving people that option to take control over their data. And 
I do actually think that they will start to change because they're going to have to. I mean, even if you look at how PayPal is supporting Bitcoin and crypto now, you know, it's encryption is becoming more of a conversation. It's going to happen. It's going to take another 10 years. But I think that if we have the same conversation in 10 years, we're going to see that like on on Google and Facebook and, and Instagram, they all have options for like, well, you know what? I'm actually, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think they're going to get very much pressured to do so. And they're going to, they're going to become more decentralized and give people. Well, I hope so. One of the things that you will also hear this a lot, it's about this. And I will tell you why I think it's a nonsense argument. They will say like, hey, they're a private company, so they can do what you want. If you don't like it, you can always get off the platform. But you need this platform for so many things, for your online businesses to stay in touch, you know, like just using the argument, they can do what they want while they have the perception, the view of reality of so many billions of people. They removed the president of the United States just before the elections. Are you going to tell me that has no effect on it? Like it's just a private company. Yeah, but it decides the fate of a big country or of the world or the handling of information, the fact checking. Like, isn't this so much power in the hands of just one private company? Yeah. And this is why we saw Clarence Thomas, who's a Supreme Court justice in the US. He just came out recently and was saying that they should be treated as common carriers like phone companies. I mean, the phone company doesn't ban a crazy person from using the phone. So now, again, devil's advocate, Social media is different than a phone company because you have you have much more ability to influence vast populations of people on social media than phone, which is you know much more private and it's just more like a one to one system. However, you know the world is just changing, and like probably back before phones were a thing, you know there there was there was something else, and you know I don't think it's scalable. And people do need access to these platforms. So I think that we will probably see some new regulations that that come out. You have the freedom of speech amendment in the American Constitution, but apparently Facebook can bypass that with uh, what's called Amendment 230 or Section 230. Yeah. Section so, 230. Like, how is this possible that a, a private company can just bypass one of the most fundamental rights in America? Well, think about. I mean. The, so 230 doesn't require a a site to allow 100% of speech. I will admit that. But so f- say say you have a small business and it's it's like a a pizza shop and you have like a message board on your pizza website. You know, it's reasonable for the owner of the pizza place to say we're talking about pizza here. You know, if you come in here and you're talking about- Not the about, pizza like, gate not, stuff, real pizza. Okay, like, yeah. <laughs> maybe that was a, uh, a questionable uh, You example. go to that tortilla place, okay, yes. <laughs> but, you know, see, you see what I'm saying? Like, they, they should have the ability to moderate their platform. Like, if, if people come in and they start talking about water skiing, it's like, it's their site. You know, it's, it's their but. When you reach a certain critical mass of users, I do think that there becomes a point where the nature of the platform changes. It is now much more of a utility for the for the 
planet to communicate. And so the, I, I, I personally don't think that the same rules should necessarily apply. Now, you know, we're, we're, we're much smaller, you know, we got like 5 million users, but we've taken this approach from the beginning that we think it should be free speech just because that's the best for humanity. I mean, if the, you're playing whack-a-mole, it gets banned from one network, goes to another, goes to a dark corner, a little, you know, digital ghetto. That's just not going to work. So we've decided to just take on the responsibility and do it from the beginning. And I, I think it's a good strategy. I don't know necessarily if, you, if every single site should be required to allow every single thing. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. For me, it's more about the impact on perception and the, and the power, predictive power and control that these big tech companies have that is not on the level of like a, a pizza tortilla, whatever place. You so know, the question is what policies. size? Yeah, but, or, or what impact, you know, like it's, I know that these people say like the government shouldn't interfere with business. I, I know like on your level, you don't like that, you know, like be free, et cetera. But when you talk about the scale of how they can influence elections, even like, even now with like COVID, with fact checking and following the WHO, whether you agree with them or not, this sets the structure of the matrix and what is allowed. And they right. show the only view that they think is allowed in the world. And when that is the only thing that a lot of people see, because a huge part of their life now is on social media, that becomes reality because it's their sole windows into the world. It is absolutely incredible, their ability to engineer thought, engineer global consciousness. That's what they're doing. And they know that they're doing it, limiting people's access to information. Yeah. When it's, whether it's about COVID or it's about conspiracies or, or whatever it is. I mean, the reality is that an educated person needs access. To, you need access to information to become educated. There is danger in being exposed to propaganda. But, you know, the job of the platform is to educate people, to be honest, how to think for themselves, not what to think. It, like The best thing that Google and Facebook could do would, would be to provide resources or data showing... You know, So let's talk about fact-checking for a second. What they're doing is showing you what to think. They're saying, this is true or this is not true based on like five think tanks that are just yeah. saying that. They're not... What they should be doing is giving it like some sort of a score based on crowdsourced information, which is voted on and verified with citations and sources from both sides. So that when you go into the little fact-checking pop-up, it shows you both sides and it gives you the ability to make a choice based on how you ingest that information. But that's not what they're doing. They just want to tell you what to think. Yeah, and reality is complicated. Like in the past, when I would say like they fact check, they censor, they book burn, they tell what's right and wrong. We think about the Spanish Inquisition. We think about book burning and Stalin and Nazi Germany. But now we reach the end point of ethics and morals. Now we know what's right and wrong and we can perfectly say and filter that's right and that's wrong. No, it's the principle. Like it's never like every extreme can be become perverted on the left and on the right, etc. It's like a pendulum. But it's what these people think like, no, we reached the end stage. This is it. And we're just going to filter it. And that's just how it's going to be. And that's almost never how it is in history or in the evolution of humanity. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with the sources. It has to do with Wikipedia. 
It has to do with the moderation at Wikipedia. It Wikipedia, has to do- if you're going to look at uh, BitChute or Rumble, yes, there are extreme things, but all what these platforms do, if you're going to, I don't even know if it's with mines, but it's like extreme right-wing hate-filled forum with like, really? All the people that you ban because of their opinion, yes, there are extreme people there, yeah, but they become extreme because you put them there and then they just keep on becoming more extreme. But I also know perfectly reasonable people who you censored, you blocked them, you banned them for a while, and then they went over to BitChute, Rumble, all these other platforms. But if you Google them to Wikipedia, which people think like, yeah, it's subjective, well, these these competitive platforms, if you look at their description, they just paint it like it's the worst of the worst and worst and a bad. No, they've done that. They've done that to us. They yeah? they they put the like one of the editors in the first paragraph of our Wikipedia, they, they mentioned, you know, that we have a a lot of far right users and I just messaged the editor and I was like, why are you putting that there? I mean, you know, first of all, we have both the left and the right, but it's totally irrelevant. Like in, in their, in their link, the link of that, of that sentence is to a vice article. It's like (laughs) vice is, just completely bananas off the wall in terms of their understanding of this topic. Like I had like a two hour conversation with the vice reporter, you know, about this article, you know, the headline was like, you know, minds has no idea what to do about the Nazis. And that was after having a two hour conversation with them about our plan for de-radicalization through free speech which the guy just, it couldn't go into his yeah. brain. We partnered with Daryl Davis. Do you know Daryl? No, no, no. You can tell me So he's a, a black man who de-radicalized 200 members of the KKK by oh, befriending nice. them. So, you know, he has written books about this. He understands psychology. He, he makes friends with KKK people. And then they leave. That is what we need to do online. You're not go- the only way that you're going to change the extremists is to, you know, beat their ideas and show yeah. them humanity. You will not change it. You can't force people to change their minds. Yeah. And also, you show his history and tell about history and you learn about extremes to not to repeat it. But they do the same thing right now with, oh my God, Columbus was like this, or this person owns slaves and this. So they crime to remove it so you don't see it anymore. No, you're reminded of the constant evolution of humanity, of history. And you see that that evil could also be, you could be a cam guard. You could maybe be someone like in uh, Cambodia, whatever, you know, if you would mm. be brainwashed enough. It's to recognize that evil, be reminded of it. Just by erasing it doesn't mean it's not there anymore. Yeah, provide more context around the statues. Explain that this was, you know, the part in human evolution where we were. You know, it, you don't at the Museum of Natural History, you don't need to cancel the the cavemen because they beat their wives because they were cavemen. Their brains weren't even developed. You know, they were probably super violent humans. But like that that that's a, a funny <laughs> argument that I, you know, you don't you notice that the mob, you know, they will go after historical figures like Columbus and, you know, founding fathers and places, you know, people like those who had slaves, you know, which obviously that's messed up that they did, but they don't go back to, to Neanderthals. 
<laughs> yeah, but they also th- thought that way because that was the context, just as when you lived in ancient Greece, you would think slavery is okay because that was a societal system. But they judged that because, yeah, 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 we have to judge those people because they should have known despite the context. But there are some things going on right now, maybe on the left or what's happening right now, that within the context is not okay, but because it's the culture way how reality has been fabricated, a lot of people condone this. And then we're going to look back in 50 years and say like, oh my God, you know, these people are like this. So again, it depends on perception. Oh yeah, it's going to happen in a big way. I mean, yeah, a hundred, a thousand years from now, humans will look back. First of all, everything probably that we're doing with animals and like factory farming, they're going to think that we were completely inhumane, crazy people for doing what we do to animals. Not, Not that I... You know, we'll probably still be eating meat in a thousand years, but it'll be in like a totally ethical way. And yeah, all these restriction of information, it's all going to be looked back at as total insanity on our part. And but like part of me, I get a certain comfort out of that because it's like we know that everything that's happening right now is like on the record for the most part. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as long it's going to be disproven over time. And so now is just sort of a challenging period where we have to, you know, really just. Well, like I hope so. I see so many things through. happening with the propaganda that's going on right now. I interviewed a lecturer who's been lecturing about health sciences for 20 years at a high school. And he was on national television. And I said, like, I wouldn't talk to the media if I were you. They're going to commit character assassination. My podcast came out with him. A day later, he got fired by his, by his high school. He just posts like articles about critical stances towards the the vaccination strategy and the lockdown, et cetera, with real data, no polarization. He got removed from LinkedIn this week. And now some doctors sign like, hey, we should have like a kind of lockdown that is centered on the vulnerable people, all based on like arguments and research. Every single doctor that signed that has to be called in front of the council of doctors to be reprimanded. That is like not adhering to the party propaganda of like Stalin, you know, removing all the people in, in major universities. You have to align to it. And if you speak out, you get there. It was maybe literally, but that it's symbolically. You get character assassinated. You get removed, yeah. erased from the matrix. You, you're not allowed to play anymore. Do you know how dangerous that is? I see a lot of tendencies, but people don't realize it because it's a comfortable World War III. It's a war of perception information. Right. I see so many patterns repeating from 80 years ago. Where are you from? Belgium originally. I live in Budapest right now, but okay. Belgium. So originally. yeah, what I notice also is that people abroad. I'm in the U.S. and people outside of the U.S. think it's crazy how the U.S. is acting. You know, basically self-censoring through the media. When yeah. in regimes around the world, you know, you have these totalitarian states that you know where there's state censorship, and now there's starting to be state censorship. But the crazy thing about like the past five years is that there was more, you know, the Trump, the president got censored from the the corporations were censoring the government, not the other way around. Typically, you know, that's what people are, are afraid of in authoritarian regimes. Yeah, and the media are normally having like the third power to keep the politicians in check. Right. But here in Europe, they're actually the mouthpiece of the politicians or a certain ideology. It's there's no watchdog anymore to protect black democracy. It's the same thing with big tech or big companies. If you're going to think that your individual vote is going to matter compared with all those intricate connections between those big organizations or big tech or big forum or big media, I think that they play a lot of bigger role in steering the way, like how the policy is going than the individual democratic vote. 
Yeah. And I think that the anti-authoritarian media on both the left and the right has been censored by big tech. And that that's sort of the common trend with, yes, big tech has a bias, has, has a left wing bias, but they, they do ban true sort of freedom focused anti-authoritarian groups on both the left and the right. Like I know a number of alternative media outlets that were banned from Facebook who are, who are basically far left, but they still believe in like basic human rights. And, and so you'll see like anti-war groups who get banned, who are like left wing on Facebook and true counterculture journalism that is keeping the government in check is, is always going to under, undergo scrutiny. That, that's what journalists are supposed to be scrutinized and like hated because they're trying to dig up the dirty secrets on, on everybody. I call them prostitutes, attention whores. Mm-hmm. They hoard themselves for attention. I graduated in journalism and what it has become is just like yeah, prostitutes. They're just, you know, whores of information. And then when you look at all the companies, it's like, I don't know, five, six big companies in America. People think like, it's, it's difficult to really engineer things because how can you, you know, like hijack so many companies? Like it really comes down to these big conglomerates who own like a big part of the whole media landscape. So, <sighs> well, and I mean, if you look at the policies of the big tech, I mean, the journalists are calling upon big tech to censor more. They're, they're telling Facebook that they're not censoring enough. I mean, that is, yeah. imagine being a journalist and those being the types of pieces that you write. Now, it's not to say that there's not horrific groups on Facebook that are like, you know, propaganda in, you know, Southern Africa or whatever it is that is is super dangerous. But there's a way to call attention to problematic content while also understanding that you should not be calling for more censorship and that there are there are ways to address the this content without destroying the communication mechanism itself. Well, I like to base things on principles. So if you're going to have a group about the negative things and COVID deaths, et cetera, okay, share that group, share that information. There was a group about people having side effects of this experimental gene therapy that they're like rolling out. These people are just sharing their stories. Like maybe that's normal that a percentage has effects. Like why? So on one part, you can show people who have like negative effects with COVID. But on the other hand, people who have other negative effects, you can't show that. You have people with Black Lives Matter who, who protest, etc., And then other people maybe, you know, stand up for American culture, not against black culture, not being a Nazi. You're just proud to be an American. Maybe they put some country music, et cetera. Oh, no, that's not. But as a principle here, like as long as. Right. Just be consistent. I don't care about the ideology. It's just be consistent. But when you can't take a look at people can do the exact same thing, but depending on their ideology or color or their agenda, then they're going to censor people. And that is what I don't like. I'm the same principle. For me, that the principle applies to any color of skin, ideology, gender. Like, I don't care. But I see Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you saw. So, so on Facebook, it is against the policy to say that the COVID vaccine affects DNA. And you get banned for that. There was a leaked video. <laughs> Did you see the leaked video of Zuckerberg saying that we don't know if the vaccine changes your genes? 
it's Moderna, modern RNA. It works with messenger RNA. This is straight from the no, side. No, I know, like but, but the, 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 the point that the point being made, I think this was in a Project Veritas video. They had a video of Zuckerberg saying that we don't know the impact on DNA, which that statement would be against Facebook's policy. So he was saying it, and, and it's just like, they, they don't want any controversy. They just, and then meanwhile, Zuckerberg will give speeches talking about how he does care about free speech. And like, there was this one speech he gave last year where he was, you know, he thinks this is, this is how crazy it is. He thinks that he is defending free speech because he has so many journalists and organizations coming at him, telling him to take down more information that he thinks that he is standing up for free speech when he's he's meanwhile taking down millions and millions of of totally fine he's posts. lying he's lying he, yeah. he looks it looks like in data data from star trek i don't know if you ever saw star trek yeah, yeah. and you had like it looks like that he misses a lot of human elements when i look at him it's like transhumanist you know transhumanism often is like you know be bigger than human and then giving up your humanity when i look at these people in big positions they don't care about making people happier, more fulfilled, and using it, you know, to better the world. I see a lot of things what they could be doing, like Bezos, Zuckerberg, people in Google, you know, all these people, they could be doing so much because you could use these platforms also to have like a good effect on it. But when you see the social dilemma and other things, people you worked on Twitter, they also see like, yeah, we're manipulating people to become more unhappy, more hooked to the program, more and more enslaved, you know, to it, you know, to the algorithm. And there is like no incentive in their mission statement of actually creating a better place, making people more, they, they, they act like they do, but in fact, like it doesn't contribute to what they want to do. Transhumanism also fits their agenda. Let's say that you would be able to track any biometric data. You look at an image, they check your heart rate, they see what your emotions are, they label it. So they have even more data to protect things. So they like things to go this way. They like people to be anxious, frustrated, lonely, because then they consume. Then they spend time online as a compensation for that existential void inside. So I see a lot of lack of humanism and a lack of humanity in the people in these platforms. Yeah, there's this sort of a, a funny tangent, but there's actually this one dating app and I, what I will say about dating apps is that they can be, they can have problems, obviously. But the good thing about them is that they're trying to get people to meet in real life, which is something that I think every app should be trying to do to bring people together yeah. in real life. And I forget, I think it's called Hinge, and their their motto, which I think is a good motto, which is the app that is de designed to be deleted. You know, because that's their goal is to mm -hmm. is to have people meet and then never and then delete the app. Which I think I I want to develop a lot more features within Minds to help people connect in real life. We've done we do events sometimes, and a lot of people have met on Minds and got married and. And all that kind of stuff. But I think that design is key. And it's like, what is the goal of the design? Like, do you have another experience with like app designers and people who started like big companies? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. We work with great experienced app designers. And because you know, I'm but, curious, did you notice any pattern about the personality or when a company becomes so big, does it inflate the ego? You want more power, it distorts the original cause of it, etc. Because I see a lot of these 
people and then they get higher and then they they talk about philanthropy. When you're going to take a look at philanthropy of the richest people, it's it's often hidden tax avoidance. And despite the philanthropy, their wealth still goes up. You can take a look at Bill Gates, for instance. He strategically invested in a lot of crucial institutions, and now mm-hmm. he's actually banking a lot on this. I mean, I'm not drawing a conclusion. I'm just looking at you know where the money went. Is there anything that you noticed about the personality that runs these companies or when these companies become so big that the mission statement changes? It cor- I mean, look, power corrupts. The goal is to engineer ourselves out of power. So in crypto, there's a, a phrase called, you know, Google's was don't be, don't be evil. In crypto, it's can't be evil. Mm-hmm. Engineer the app so that even the founders cannot access your messages, cannot ban you, cannot like make it technically impossible for that to occur. That's really the only way. Because if the temptation is there for the owners of the company to to do it, or even if the owners don't do it, if that, you know, it could get hacked. We need to build ourselves out of the equation. So it's just peers who are interacting with each other voluntarily. And the platform is more of just a mechanism to bring people together. But the platform should have very should have as little power as possible. The hard part is that we're still not quite advanced enough with peer-to-peer technology where it's as good functionally as like centralized servers. Centralized servers make it much easier to do things like streaming video and you know all of the bells and whistles that people expect on Snapchat and Instagram. But you know, over the next decade, peer-to-peer technology is going to be just as good as centralized, and that that's some good news. I know this is in a fabric. At least that's my prediction. People want to go more local. Want to go more, you know, connecting with each other, going to the basic. But at the same time, they don't want to miss out on these huge worldwide opportunities that they are. So now, people a lot of times they are using things because they have to use it. Like I'm gonna. I don't know, but you would answer to this question if you would. If you would ask your question, hey Phil, if you could have your audience and business, and you would go to another platform, or I wouldn't need this for my business, right? I'm telling you, like I'm, 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 I'm I coach people like online. If I wouldn't need it. I would delete my social media immediately, immediately, right, right. immediately. Like I don't have, a, have a, a second of doubt about that. You know, it's not like like it's giving opportunities right now to connect with people. But if I wouldn't need it for my job, it's detrimental. Yeah, and I think a lot of people do it because they feel like it's a pathway to fat financial freedom, a pathway to sell. And and you know, it initially started. It it does partially help achieve that because if you want to be an independent business and have your own project your own company like you you do need to use these tools you 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 need to use platforms unless you're a crazy technologist yourself and you can just build everything in your own basement which is not not very common so yeah i completely i deleted it all i only use mines now and it's great i mean it's good enough deleting it is very cathartic and i i do recommend that people delete what they really don't need. If you're not getting the engagement that makes it worth your time, just like delete it. It's it, it's not helping you. We reached a, to- uh, a point and Henri David Thoreau already said it, men have become tools of their tools. 
because people mistake like you can optimize it, you can set your choice. Like no, no, the technology and the pull is stronger than people that willpower. Willpower is more warmth power. No, no, no. And nine out of ten times you can say like no, but then you give in. So it's like exhausting to be able to manage it. I even have to use a tool called Freedom to then block sites so I can really focus deep work on what I have to do. So I need technology to manage technology because right. constantly having to navigate it and decide it, like I'm just too addicted. I just can't manage it. I, I, I just cave in. Even after deleting all of the mainstream social apps, I'm still addicted to my phone. Don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, it comes back to self-discipline, no matter what, what whether you're on those sites or you're not like, if you're going to live a fulfilling life, you need to be able to control yourself and control your routine. And that's something that no one can teach you. You're a 90s boy. I'm a 90s boy, man. You could, you could still make jokes about men and women, you know, and then cross boundaries. I mean, anything thought provoking crosses boundaries. It makes you think, look at stand-up comedy, what it has become. You have to be narrowly about what you talk about, because if one person would be offended, you know, you could be canceled. That's why Seinfeld or other people are not touring anymore. Like how sad we, or if seduction, you try to kiss a girl and it's like a no, you're trying to play with boundaries respectfully, but then she could sue you for rape. So all these things to, you know, play with boundaries, you know, provoke thoughts, this is often where the interesting things lie, you know, and increasingly, oh. you know, say like, you can't play with this boundary. Yeah. So I've heard different ideas about this. Some stand-up comics think that this is actually a great time for comedy because it's a dangerous time. And actually, you know, if you take someone like Bill Burr, who does not give a fuck, I mean, he will say whatever mm -hmm. he wants, whenever he'll talk about women, he'll talk about man he'll talk about black white like it doesn't it doesn't matter so i think it's it's harder to get away with stuff but if you're a good comic and if you're coming from the right intention i think that you can still say anything you want but the, the there will be there there will always be backlash and the backlash will probably be much worse now and i agree with you that that's super annoying that some people are just so clouded that they they can't laugh at anything but it is so important to to keep pushing boundaries keep telling jokes it's all about intention at the end of the day you can tell any joke you can say any word it doesn't matter you know what's um, crazy intention doesn't seem to matter for me that's the most essential thing intention is the most important thing to know where it came from and you right. you can't get feedback like oh i didn't know this but now I know people who say like, no, 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 attention doesn't matter at all. It's how it's perceived and I'm offended. They're like, no, no, intention matters, you know? Intention is the only thing that matters. If people are going to get, if, if people are going to ignore in, intention and just think about, you know, their perception of it and, you know, the cultural consequences, their perceived cultural consequences of it, they're just lost and they need, and, and they need to be educated. And I think the only way to actually that's why it keeps coming back to psychology and science for me, because this is really, that's all this is. This is like mass psychosis and there is a cure. And the cure is to just keep having conversations and honest conversations about this and to look at the data around this. Look, the first amendment is the most prolific document for speech ever recorded. I think that most people can agree that the US has one of the healthiest democracies in the world. It's not a perfect system, but what we know 
is that, or let's say they have one of the best systems, but a lot of people don't get also with the right to possess a gun, is to have a kind of counter opposition to a potential tyrannical government, which right. what Solzhenitsyn talks about and Gulag Archipelago also, like you can make that tyranny go away or tyranny will not take over as long as one man speaks his truth. So that way to have an opposition with the gun being able to have a gun and being able to have free speech, that is an opposition to a tyrannical government. And that is really well written into the law in America. Right. And so I think that we do have hundreds of years of evidence that it works pretty well over here. And people should pay attention to that. And you know, there's a reason that people around the world want to come to the US. So these are like the obvious facts that is sort of the people in the US and you know Canada and people with the most freedom don't appreciate it and are totally entitled yeah. it's just like a spoiled child who yeah. you know has everything that they could need and so they cry about what they have yeah, it seems that people from Eastern Europe or from Venezuela or the countries who witnessed, you know, like communism or any other authoritarian regime, they kind of really value that freedom and realize how important it is. But this comfort culture, they take a lot of fundamentals for granted, which create a peaceful society. And this freedom of speech, you know, freedom of expression, constructive dialogue, even if you agree, is one of the most fundamental underlying elements of a peaceful society but it seems that a lot of people don't realize this or just take it for granted. Yeah, and it's really the bigotry, the soft bigotry of, of low expectations where basically all of these woke mobsters think that they're standing up for underrepresented groups or oppressed groups, but they are actually oppressing the groups. And those groups yeah. want freedom. Those like to assume that those groups don't want freedom, it, that is deeply offensive. Also, I talked about this after like George Floyd. How how was that momentum being used to then polarize people and attack people again? I know most, probably you all almost also know most. Most white Americans after this, after they saw the footage, they wanted to do something about it. They thought it was horrible. They were on your side. And what did they do? They hijacked again to polarize people. Why that was a momentum, like I'm sure 80%, 90%, 95%, 99% of Americans watched this and said, like, well, we have to do something about it. This is not okay. Those white nationalists, I mean, that would gotta be a very low percentage because I personally don't know a lot of people who are like, the nationalists may be proud of their country, but white nationalists and who say that. And so like, ah, he got what he deserved. I really don't know a lot of like uh, white Americans who thought that way. Yeah, it's it's the invisible enemy. And that's such a pity when you have these moments where you can unite people. It almost seems like you have a more polarizing society as in the 60s with like Jim Crow, et cetera. And I'm thinking like, whoa, you have a lot of reasonable people. We have a lot of tools, you know, you had a lot of like luxury to invest in a good society, wellness, mental health care, and still like you know, especially the media and the propaganda is, is playing out people against each other. And it's such a pity because we have so much more things to unite us than to divide us. Also, what you said before about the left and the right, I think this increasing censorship, I think this accumulation of money at the top, maybe for the left, and that censorship of people who are conservative, free speech, more individualistic on the right, both have a common enemy. Look at GameStop. 
what they did with GameStop, right? Both the left and the right were outraged. Like, look at these people in power. Like, they can only play the game to enhance power, money, and influence. We have so much that could unite us, like the middle, both on the left and the right, but we're just being polarized by these bullshit lower issues, you know? For sure. And look, that's why it, we can't trust or take for granted that we're going to have the ability to communicate with each other freely into the future. And so it is very important to use tools that don't use you. You know, I say, I say this a lot, but like every tool that you use, like your browser, your social networks, you know, your apps, like try to find the alternatives that, that actually care about you. Like use the Brave browser, like go to Minds, go to other decentralized open source social networks. Like that, they're out there you know, use Bitcoin, use Ethereum, like these, get them, like participate in it. Every transaction counts. And it is creating a new free and open economy that cannot be corrupted. That's the thing that is so powerful about Bitcoin is that it's a fair playing field. Anybody can participate. No one can seize it's totally censorship resistant. I mean, this is the world that we need to move into. So just, yeah, get involved. I mean, it's- What, it's, what are your predictions of like the coming short term, let's say? I see, and, and whew, my soul is very shaken this last year with the fact-checking and the censorship and the increasing removing of people, character assassination, you know, they, 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 they track. I mean, Facebook is so heavy right now. They must be tracking so many things. When you do a live, they check every words that you do. You can't file a complaint on YouTube. People are being removed when they talk about a certain issue. So I see those increasing tentacles getting like, you know, clenching deeper and deeper and deeper. How do you see the short-term future? Do you think they're pushing it too fast, too much? Are they able to create this ideological matrix and echo chamber? Or how do you see it in the short term and in the long term? I think that in the short term, we'll probably keep seeing the rate of censorship along the lines of, I don't know how much further they can really go because it's starting to be like, who are they going to censor? Just like totally normal people. I mean, they're already censoring normal people who aren't doing anything wrong. So yeah. maybe the volume could pick up, but I feel like they've planted their flag in the ground for like, it's obvious that there is not true free expression on these sites and that there's only certain things that you can say. Most people are afraid to say anything because they're afraid to get banned. So, you know, at this point, I think that we just need alternatives to keep rising up and you know eventually get to a point where people abandon the old sites. I mean they're lost. It, there there is no it's just addiction. It's just, you know, because your friends are there but they need to be abandoned eventually. Like there has to be an exit plan. But did you suggest people who get removed from a platform, they should just build up their audience on alternative platforms? Or what would you say if someone is you know, like well, I don't know what other option there is. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You have to build up on alternative platforms. You have to take control of your network. If there's some intermediary you know, between you and your network, there's always a chance that you're going to lose that access. 
And also, sort of, you, you need your own platform to say like, hey, have your own blog, have your own podcast, be on these alternative platforms and migrate your audience because, you know, like you don't know. You have this famous saying that first they came for the professors, then they came for the doctors, then they came for the artists, and then they came for you. So there's, they removed the president of the United States. It's not about Trump. They removed the president of the United States. So what right. do you think? You will be safe and, you know, such a person has been like removed. So if you're not already beyond alternative platforms, definitely make sure that you have a back plan to have a platform even if it's not political yeah. like let, let's take politics out of the conversation entirely for a second having a middleman between you and your audience or your customers why do you want that you don't need it like yes there's always going to have to be some level of a middleman because you know there's going to be like a technology host or whatever but you need to really be aware of who you are doing business with and who is in between you and your livelihood, your freedom, your financial freedom. That, that's really the key. And your access to, to reach you know, the eyeballs of the people who have already said that they want to follow you. I admit, I had millions of followers on, on Facebook with all these different pages mm -hmm. and whatnot. I spent years building up communities over there. We used to drive crazy traffic to mines through Facebook. Like mm -hmm. every post would be like tens of thousands yeah, of yeah. likes and comments. We get millions and millions of whatever. And then it's just gone. Then it's like 50 likes. When it, you Tumbleweeds. Know, it's, it's tumbleweeds. It's like, it's, it's such a joke. And that is years of wasted time. No one can afford to waste years. You know, time is very precious and where, where we put our energy is very precious creatively and just for our own security. So I just don't trust that these places are going to have your best interests in mind and do build up an audience in an alternative platform. It will be totally worth it. Do you think we will stay hooked on technology or will there be a certain kind of digital renaissance where people rescue ideas from the past and maybe become more like Amish, you know, like with every push right now towards technology, you know, doing Zoom sessions, etc. Is there still value or future? I mean, economically for people to just focus on things that they do in real life because with everything happening with lockdown and every of your conferences is like canceled, etc. You can't do it anymore. So there's also a lot of insecurity about being able to do these real-life things in the future. Before I even started Minds, I, I was actually very into technology just generally because I, I thought it was destroying people's communication and like interpersonal skills. But no, I don't think that it's going to revert back to like a, a technology-less mm -hmm. society. I think it'll be... The world that I want is more of a sustainable, open source, decentralized infrastructure where, you know, you could have a server at your house with your solar panels and your you can have your own sovereign technological system that you control, you control your data, you control your communications and your money and so it's more of an evolved technology as opposed to just getting rid of it. I mean, look, we've evolved to this point for a reason. Being able to do what we're doing right now yeah, of course. is amazing. And I, I, you know, I would never want to give that up. I would like to be doing it on an intermediary who is open source. Like Zoom, I don't 
I don't know if I to- yeah. like they've provided a good service to the world, but it's very similar to like Facebook back in the day. I would not be surprised if Zoom starts banning lots of people. Yeah, don't hope don't hope is a future module where you have like uh, you're on an island with an eye patch and then with a harpoon as a weapon with with reserve batteries to keep your internet floating and fight, you know, the hegemony <laughs> of the earth grid and these kind of like science fiction kind of scenarios. You were also on the Joe Rogan podcast. How was that experience for you, man? That's a lot of uh that is something that a lot of people like put high on their list to to once be able to do. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great experience. I mean, Joe is is a real dude and he he doesn't have fear about what he talks about and and that's why he is where he is. And that that that's what you need. You you have to just do what you want to do, not try to impress other people, just stay focused on your mission, stay disciplined on it. And yeah, no, it was it was I feel very fortunate to have been able to to talk about my experience and and what minds is all about on there and just be a part of a new form of communication, these long form conversations. I mean, what we're doing right now, very similar. It's yeah. like, it's, I love the fact that I find myself only listening to long podcasts. Like I just want to listen to a conversation for yeah. like two hours. I don't like short little clips. I just want, I want the I want the real thing. I want to get to like the salt of the conversation. And and he doesn't give a fuck and he should never. And I know that there's some controversy about, you know, some of the Spotify censorship. Like I think that they took down a bunch of conversations and that's too bad. But he still owns it all. And I'm sure it'll all get republished at some point soon. So yeah, man. I don't know if you have any specific question. It was pretty cool to walk in. I mean, he, you know, he's got like his archery range. He's like, I walk in and he's playing pool, like very ag- aggressively to my right. And then it's just like the, the ultimate tech slash fitness factory, just with like everything you would want to outlet your creative. Yeah. And everybody's potential. wondering what Jamie looks like, like Jamie pull up the Jamie's pretty tall. Jamie's taller than expected. <laughs> We talked about the salt in this conversation. Give people a little bit of the pepper, which is like Minds. Tell a bit what the platform is, what the purpose is of Minds, and where they can find out more about your platform. Yeah, just find me, minds.com slash Ottman, O-T-T-M-A-N. I mean, look, like I said in the beginning, I think social media functionality is coalescing, and that's why every app sort of feels similarly, because humanity is sort of unconsciously decided this is how we want to communicate. We like to, you know, we like to text. We've been doing it since the beginning of the internet. So, you know, the functionality on Minds is quite similar to other social networks. You do earn cryptocurrency for your actions and you can use it to get more views. You can earn, we do rev share. So the way that we make money is through Minds Plus, which is like five bucks a month. So you get access to exclusive stuff. But Here's the analogy. Imagine if Netflix, if you could upload a, a movie to Netflix and if it did well, each month you get paid. That's how Minds Plus works. It's basically like we take 25% of the revenue that comes into us and we share it with all the creators who upload like the most popular. Oh, you get rewarded for value? That is that is not I know. Facebook. Newsflash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we're just doing it, you know, uh, the opposite Everything that we've been talking about, we do it the opposite. And yeah, I hope anyone who's listening will will come 
say what's up. We just rolled out a whole new encrypted messaging system, which is huge. It's it's really a game changer. So yeah, we just keep trucking on. Is that a way how people can move their content or repurpose their content from Facebook or they would just have to copy paste it? Because I know that uh, sometimes hold people back from doing things. The more we have, to, like yeah. I mentioned, we have a migration tool from YouTube. So you can mm-hmm. migrate your whole YouTube library. And we, we're working on the Facebook and, and Twitter migration tools. But the only problem is that when you do that, there is a little bit of a surveillance concern for it. And so, but I think having the option is good. Because when you connect to Facebook, it's like then Facebook knows, you know, you've now informed Facebook, you, you've informed people about your presence over on Minds. Now, I do think that it's probably a worthwhile tool to have for the purpose of migrating content because a lot of people will do it. But the reason that we've been a little bit hesitant to do it is because every time you see like a connect with Facebook or connect with Google or connect with Apple button mm-hmm. and you like log in to another website mm-hmm. with that button, that button mm-hmm. is a dangerous button because that button is a tentacle from that big tech network. Like an amazing, right? Side. You see this. That's, what, that's all that I see yeah. <laughs> when I think about this. So I try to resist getting their tentacles into us because even though we're pulling content from, from them, it's still a tentacle. So, but I think we're probably going to find out, figure out a way to do it regardless. And yeah, man, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Last question. What do you do to stay sane each day? It's like crazy times with everything that's going on. Also maybe interesting times just because it's so crazy and it's always like maybe a pendulum swift shift towards something else. What do you do on a daily or weekly basis to stay sane and disconnect from all the madness? I live luckily like five minutes from the beach. So I've been riding my bike a lot. Like at the end of the day, I'll just take like an hour bike ride and go to the water and just try to get a little sweat going. That's been helping me a lot. I love to just go hang out with my one-year-old daughter for a little bit and just hang out with her. Every second with her is just refreshing because she's so inspired by like everything she sees. Everything is so like, Oh my God. Like she has that face of awe with just every, you know, she'll see a, a bird and she's just like, oh. and just seeing that is like being able to re-experience everything all over again. So I love having a kid and I, I love just spending time with my family. But what about you? Is that by the way, the first thing that you realized when you unplugged from all the social media and removed yourself from the account that you purposely seek nature, meditate, rest, enjoy? How did you fill the time? Because sometimes when you stop, it's like, whoa, I'm saving a lot of time. And it it can show like, fuck, what, what should I do now? Because normally I do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, nature, exercise, getting your heart rate going. I mean, that because that that's by being on social media, you know, we're sedentary and it's really bad for our bodies. You know, sitting is, you know, it messes up your circulation. It's, it's so bad for you physically. And I haven't been meditating too much. My wife has been meditating every morning for an hour for like the past three months. And she, like, I'm, I'm about to have to start doing it because she is just in pure bliss. And it's like her whole <laughs> attitude is, is changing. Like I've, I've spent a lot of time meditating recently. I haven't been doing it as much, but 
having people around you who are doing it makes such a difference. And that's also, I think it's important if you want to teach the next generation important principles, you teach the most by practice, right? And if you practice it yourself and learn how to integrate technology and show your way of living to your children, it will be much better than saying like, don't be on social media. And you're like checking your phone all the time and not practicing what you preach, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's perfect example with my wife. Like she's just doing, like, I don't want to do it because she's like telling me, oh, you need to meditate. It's I'm seeing her do it and mm-hmm. she just has this like smile on her face when she's doing it. And she's like in a completely different dimension. And I'm just like, I want, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going there soon or in the meditation world, it'd be like, it's all about now. So just well, about now, maybe Bill will go out of his mind and maybe you guys will go into minds, check out the platform, social media platform, freedom of speech and impression and build a wonderful community and disconnect from social media to connect with human nature. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast, Bill. Wish you all the best with minds, your children, your daughter and your future meditation, man. Cheers, Phil. Great talking to you and be in touch. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now more than ever is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.